All right. Hey guys, ECRG here, back with another episode. I've got with me a very, very special guest today. Um, he goes by the name of Matt Walls, um, and he is the CEO of a company called Trial B. So I'm going to have Matt come in and uh, introduce himself a little bit for those that who don't know about Matt or his company, Trial B. How you doing, Matt? Good, ECRG. Thanks a lot for having me on. I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks so much for uh, making the time today. So for those who don't know much about um, you or your background, could you first tell a little bit about uh, your background and, and what you do in the clinical research space? Sure. I'm a software engineer by trade. I got introduced to clinical research back in the early 2000s. I was working at Microsoft and they lended me out to a project at a top 10 pharma who was looking to connect sites into, um, into sponsors around the clinical research document exchange. And, and out of that, I, I later left and founded a company in clinical research, really fell in love with the model. Myself and another colleague from Microsoft started a company called NextDocs. And we bootstrapped that for five years and took venture capital and, and ended up um, selling the company about nine years into its existence. Uh, and, and NextDocs did regulatory document management. So ETM apps and uh, electronic investigator site files, regulatory document management. And so I ended up working for the Acquire for the last five years before, uh, you know, joining trial be last November. So I'm about a year in the job here. Okay. Um, wow. So yeah, that, that's a lot of experience you have. And to think that you started out as a software developer and are now um, in the clinical research space, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I surprise myself every day with that one too. <laughs> <laughs> people, people email in all the time asking you know, what kind of degree should they get? Should they get a, you know, a clinical research degree? Cause I don't know if you're aware, but they have, um, actual, you can major in clinical research now. Um, how about that? Yeah. They ask, you know, should they do that or should they major in anything? But look at you, you're, you were a software developer and now you're the CEO of a, uh, patient recruitment firm. So anything is possible. It gives, gives hope to every, every engineer. And I wasn't even that great of a one. So, um, <laughs> for the good engineers, you, you have a lot of, a lot of headroom in your careers. Let me tell you. All right. That's good to know. Um, okay. So you um, are now the head of Trial B. So what exactly um, does Trial B do and, and what is it really good for? You know, Trial B is, is classically a patient recruitment company. We help identify and match patients to clinical trials, and then we help them get enrolled in those clinical trials. And so historically, that's been the, the company's domain and and, um, you know, this year we really started to turn the corner and build out software products as companion products to how we also find patients. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a great day to be, be on your channel doing the podcast because we just launched a new product today called Trial B Honey, which streamlines the entire process of everything that happens to a patient from the moment they expressed interest in a study until they are consented. And we track all the data around that and we help sponsors see real and CROs see real-time analytics on how their enrollment's going so they can predict when they're going to start their study. Um, and, and we also connect in with sites and give them a interface to that technology so they can communicate and consume the patient referrals as well. Okay. Hopefully that wasn't too long-winded. No, that's great. Um, okay. So let's, let's go back a little bit. Why, why is um, patient recruitment that important for those that don't know? about, uh, you know, clinical research, because we have a lot of people oh. that are new to the field or, ju or just trying to get their first job in the field. 
Um, so, so why is that, why is that so important? Why do whole companies and whole sectors of the industry need to be centered around patient recruitment from your perspective? What a great question. I love it that you're starting with the basics. You know, when you're, when you're experimenting with a, a product, a drug or a device or therapy, um, you have to go through a set of clinical trials as most folks who probably listen to, you know, and in order to collect enough data to be meaningful, to determine that that drug is safe and that that drug is effective for, for treatment of a disease or a condition, um, you need patients to try that drug out. Um, and so clinical trials require patients in order to, in, in order to start and, and have successful data collection, if you will, uh, so that there's an, an, a certain amount of evidence uh, that needs to be obtained before you can go and seek regulatory approval for that drug or device or therapy in the market. And I think everybody, everybody probably knows a little bit more about this from COVID. Um, you know, we all, we all in one way or another kind of participated in, in some clinical research with the COVID vaccines because they got emergency use authorization, yep. which means the clinical trial that the patients were participating in for the vaccines hadn't concluded, um, but there was enough data collected along the way that, that, that the regulatory bodies felt good. It was, it was important timing wise to get those vaccines out. Right. Um, okay. So for those that, um, like, so, so why would someone work with a company like trial B like do, do sponsors, CROs, people that are interested in enrolling patients, um, why can't they just ask the doctor or the, the PIs on the study, uh, for the patients that they have, like, why would they need extra help? You know, it really comes down to the amount of data that's, that needs to be collected to make sure that the that the, the therapy is safe and effective. And so a lot of times there aren't enough patients at the investigative sites to to fill out the requirements for the number of patients needed to, to participate in the clinical trial. And so you have sites who are recruiting um, the patients that they know about and have in their network. And then you have companies like Trial B that do what's called central recruitment where we try and identify patients that aren't in your site network and let them know about the clinical research that's happening there so they have an opportunity to participate. And so we, if you will, we, we sort of funnel in outside patients into the site to, to, um, to meet enough patients for the, for the clinical trial. Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'm a CRA by trade and I don't think I've worked on a single study in my career so far that has not had issues with, uh, patient recruitment or needing to enroll faster, enroll more patients, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I know how big of an issue this is, um, but, but those who listen may not know until they get into the field and understand that. That's right. And, and you're certainly not alone. So the majority of our customers have delayed clinical trials because of patient recruitment. Um, there's a, a very well-known statistic out there that 80% of clinical trials are delayed because they can't find enough patients to start to study. Yep. Yep. I believe it. Um, I'm in a study right now um, that they're having a hard time enrolling. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of a different scenario. It's really the uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria that are kind of um, holding things up there, but still they can't find enough, enough patients to, to enroll. So this is definitely a big problem. Um, yeah. And 80% sounds probably about right. Um, okay. So so trial B itself. So there are other platforms out there that do patient recruitment. I'd say probably one of the more common ways 
that people enroll subjects is through PI and site staff and whoever's in their patient database. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's the primary way that clinical research sites today do do their own recruitment. Okay. So as far as uh, what trial B can offer, how, how would trial B kind of supercharge, uh, you know, a study's patient recruitment? I love it. Yeah. So, so here's what we do. We go direct to patient. We generally do that 90% of the time. It's through a digital advertisement that shows up on, on one of their devices uh, and one of the web properties that they're on. And so we have a whole team and a set of products that models data to identify the highest concentrations of patients that fit a disease indication uh, and the inclusion exclusion criteria for a study. And then we, we overlay that patient heat map, if you will, over top of where there's clinical research sites. And then we will, we will through digital advertising, reach out to patients who don't know about the research site or don't know about the clinical trial and let them know that there's an option for treatment available to them that's in clinical trial if, if they're interested. And so we essentially drive up awareness about the study around the site that is conducting the clinical research. Um, and then when patients click on that ad, or sometimes it's an email, they'll click a link in an email that they got. When they click to take action and learn more, that's when they step into our, our product. Uh, and our product gives them a really good journey to educate themselves about the study answer a few questions to see if they qualify, if they meet the basic inclusion exclusion criteria. And then if they do, we'll, we'll put them on a, a televisit with a nurse who will further qualify them and ask the more complex inclusion exclusion criteria and really qualify that patient. And if they are a good candidate for the clinical trial, then the nurse hands that patient off and, and helps schedule them into the clinical research site for their first office visit then they can come back later and, and consent through e-consent on the platform as well. Okay. So I have some experience using other similar platforms, um, StudyKick, uh, BBK. Yep. I know those are uh, patient recruitment platforms, but it sounds like what I'm hearing from you is that you guys uh, do a better job of screening the patients before they're sent um, to the site. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? So making sure that the patient lead that you're actually getting, um, is actually going to be a pretty solid one and not just, you know, a random person. Yeah. And, and I really think you're hitting on one of the problems with, you know, what I'll call, you know, central patient recruitment, which is that, uh, the quality of, of referred patients coming into the sites can vary. And so sites over time have built up a little bit of a intolerance for putting those patients as a priority because they, maybe they, haven't, they don't believe they've been qualified well, or from their experience, those patients generally haven't made it into the study. So what trial B tries to do is reduce the burden for the site and also not, not uh, waste the patient's time. And so everything we do is geared around the patient, but the end result for us is reducing the burden once that patient arrives at the site, reducing the burden on the site. So there's a few things we do. One, um, in addition to just an online questions, uh, we, we do have a nurse speak with that patient. And the, the number one goal of that, that televisit is for the nurse to fully qualify the patient. But secondary to that is to help the patient get their questions answered as well mm -hmm. um, so that they can understand what it is that the, the clinical trial is looking to do and how relevant it is to them. And we really try and build up their trust in that process because a lot of times they don't know the physician 
And so it's important to think about the patient's perspective into that study as well. And the goal being then that when the, when the clinical research site receives that patient referral, it's a higher quality referral. Another component we can do for U.S. studies, we do global studies, but in the U.S., we can also get the patient's medical record while that nurse is speaking to them. And so we can further reduce the burden on the sites by, um, one, qualifying the patient against their medical record and making sure they have the right diagnosis, but then also passing that medical record along with the patient as they go to the site, which, you know, as you probably know, um, getting medical records for a patient uh, once they're they're scheduled into a site can be up to a 12 week process right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I have used uh, study kick and BBK and I remember for whatever reason, BBK didn't seem to really work that well. Um, but study kick was a little bit better. And I remember the online platform, um, the user interface was pretty good for study kick. Um, so, and, and I guess from your perspective, why would someone using trial B be better than some of the other platforms that are out there? Well, for one, we aim to be a single stop. Um, so our platform can not only manage patients that we are uh, finding and referring into the study, but our customers who generally tend to be CROs or, or sponsors um, who are using multiple patient recruitment strategies can put all the patients onto a single platform. And so the advantage there is that, you know, hopefully the site has less technologies to log into. Another area we excel is we integrate with a lot of the known tool sets on the market. So we have well-known partnerships with Thread Research, um, with Caster, uh, with other companies, Umotif. These companies have platforms that the sites are using today as part of study conduct and, and part of doing enrollment and collecting data during the study. And if that's the case, if we're working on a study where there's a partner whose tools are already being used by the site, we don't give the site yet another login to use. We will integrate and pass the patient, patient records over to those systems through an API. And so our goal is to always make the best patient experience possible. But second to that is reduce the burden on the sites for um, receiving referred patients. And if we, can, if we can cut down one technology, we try to do that through integration. If we can't, we have a whole user experience design team that has really built a first-class product that, that is really consumer grade. So when the sites log in, you know, you mentioned other platforms being easy to use. The goal is for the platform to be extremely easy to use. Right. And I guess, um, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that's very important. And I think, cause people are going to be going in there and uh, checking out the uh, information that's present there a lot. So you want them to be able to, you know, be able to navigate through that pretty easily. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. They need to be able to receive the patients easily and, and have a good interface for doing that. We also provide the sites with a lot of tools in that platform. Should they want to use them? We have the ability for them to do televisits through the platform, the ability to communicate with that patient over um, SMS text or email um, and the ability to do e-consent. Yep. Wow. That sounds great. So, um, I have a few questions here on, so as far as you mentioned earlier, you use a lot of, uh, digital advertising to, uh, get patients. What kind of platforms are you using and are seeing the best results with, um, yeah, I guess getting the most interest from potential patients? You know, that's a really good question. And it's highly dependent on the indication that we are recruiting for. 
we deal with upwards of 600 different online platforms that our ads can appear on. Um, and so, you know, some really common ones that everybody knows uh, are Facebook and Google search. You can do yep. ad advertisements on Google search. Yep. Um, but one of the things we do and one of the interesting ways we use data when we're developing an outreach campaign is, is we'll query medical records and claims data and we'll query available consumer profile data to understand uh, a patient profile so that we can really understand where that patient is spending their time and what they're likely to be doing. And so based on that, we may advertise on, on non-traditional channels as well that aren't, you know, search based or Facebook based, but um, news channels, or if, if it turns out a certain patient population has a high level of subscription um, to a given uh, magazine that's available online, we'll choose that platform. It really depends on what our patient profile tells us from the data, where those patients are likely to be. And okay. then the last piece that's that's kind of interesting and newer is um, geo-based advertising. So, uh, you know, this isn't available in every country, but uh, you can put an advertisement on a device just based on where the, the GPS is pinging from. And so in this case, we could say, hey, this advertisement should show up anywhere within a block of the research site, um, for example. And I'm being kind of dramatic there, but then you can make sure that someone who's on their device within a block of the research site can see an advertisement show up. Geo-based advertising. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Um, all right. And that kind of, that kind of, you touched on one of my next questions was the specific indications that you guys, um, I guess, advertise for. Are there specific ind indications with which your platform will work better or worse for uh, in your experience? Well, we're, we're agnostic to the indication. And so we do recruit across all indications, but some indications are, are more challenging to do just through digital advertising. So for example, if you look at oncology, um, oncology patients generally have a very high trust and high touch relationship with their oncologist. Mm -hmm. And so in those situations, we will, we will work to recruit through their oncologist and making the oncologist aware of the clinical trial in the hopes that they will recommend that to their patient because those patients generally aren't in most cases out there, you know, searching for or looking for available um, care options for their disease. They're, they're generally relying on their physician. Absolutely. So some are, some you have to use different recruitment patterns for, uh, but we, we do it across all indications. Okay. And then you talked a lot about analyzing the data and, you know, gathering this data. So I'm assuming you're um, assumptions and is only as good as the data um, that you have to base those assumptions on. Um, where where do you get this data from? Yeah, great question. We we have partnerships with a number of companies that we use for data. Um, so, for example, we have access to 350 million medical records um, in the U.S. and in Europe, and those medical records come from a company, Trinetics. Um, we also have access to claims data through Trinetics, insurance claims data. Of course, that's only U.S. specific. That's mm -hmm. another 200 million lives wow. that we can query against. And, you know, all this data is de-identified. De so we don't know who the patient is, but we can, through queries, generate a profile uh, of what the, where the patient's likely to be. We can gener generate a profile, for example, in the U.S., of a heat map down to the three-digit zip code. So we understand patient prevalency throughout different parts of the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, use that as an overlay to sites. We um, look at de-identified genetic lab data 
So if we're looking, if, if a study requires or, or an indication is, um, is obvious through a specific mutation on a gene, we can query lab data for where that has showed up in lab work. Mm-hmm. And then we, we can partner with those lab centers to advertise out to the, the healthcare professional that, that asked for the lab work and say, hey, you have a patient who might qualify for this study based on their recent lab work. Um, pharmacies, we have a partnership with a, a national pharmacy chain where we can uh, advertise clinical trials based on the prescriptions a patient's taking. And so uh, you'll, you'll know what indication they have or, or what disease they might have based on their prescription profile. Um, and pharmacy networks will advertise for us in that in that situation. So there's a lot of different channels and access to data that we have. Wow. So you said three over 300 million medical records you have access to. 350, that's right. Okay, even more. So who is going through this and analyzing this? Is this all AI you're using to analyze this? Like, how, how do you even do that? <laughs> that's a great question. So there's companies out there that um, that aggregate this data from from different uh, healthcare providers, and so they, I uh, believe the term is um, federated data. So they have a system that can query into local healthcare professional data systems or or electronic health record systems, and they can abstract the data without pulling through the patient information. And so those are the the companies that we partner with to get access and to query that data. And so we will query that data and you can literally query by an indication and certain inclusion exclusion criteria, not all of it, but the, you know, the basic inclusion exclusion criteria, age and gender, location, um, you know, diagnosis, you can query against the data for that and get back a set of results. Mm-hmm. And those results won't tell you that who the patient is, of course, you can't do that. Um, but those results will tell you where those patients are. And that's how you can develop kind of a heat map, so to speak, of where there's the, the most prevalence of a certain disease indication or where there's pockets of it. And then you can develop your advertising uh, strategies based on that. Okay. So um, we talked about data. Um, wh- where do you see kind of the future of patient enrollment uh, being? Um, because, you know, utilizing this digital advertising and, and all this stuff, all this data aggregation, that seems like the future, but of course there's going to be another level. There's going to be another frontier uh, to cross in patient uh, recruitment. So where do you, where do you kind of see that going? And that's a great question. What, but I, per, I'll share what I personally see. I see a, a, at a large scale, a convergence of healthcare and research uh, converging more and more. You have more and more healthcare centers participating in clinical research. I mean, we just saw in the U.S. Um, uh, CVS is now, you know, getting into clinical research and, and yep. through their, their clinics uh, and through their neighborhoods. And so you have these models growing of where healthcare providers are starting to get into cl- clinical research. You have the whole mobile research driving, you know, we're recruiting for a study right now where an RV literally shows up into an area and we're making sure that there's patients there on that day to learn about the study and, and to go through some basic testing to see if they qualify. And wow. so you have this whole mobile research theme starting to happen. And so it's, it's, it's bringing together in, in my mind, research and healthcare. And, it, and the end result is it's offering, you know, more innovative treatments to patients beyond what the standard of care allows them to have. And so patients who are struggling and not getting what they, their needs met on the standard of care can then, 
uh, more easily learn about research opportunities. And so over time, I think the, you know, if I look at patient recruitment, there's really two pieces. There's the outreach and making people aware. And then there's the onboarding experience of that patient and qualification of that patient. And, and at Trial B, we tend to separate those two things. A lot of companies see them as one, but we see them as two separate disciplines. And I think that outreach piece, making people aware, is going to continue to evolve as these newer models of research show up. And as this convergence of healthcare and research continue to come together. But at the end of the day, regardless of how a patient learns of a clinical trial, um, they, they need to have a really good process for educating themselves, understanding what that trial is for, the risks involved in that trial. And in turn, the research sites need a really good process for qualifying those patients. And so uh, we see that as a whole separate product-based um, mechanism that's going to show up and and trial B really likes to be on the forefront of building software products. And we're, we're trying to, to build those two software products kind of independently, but connect them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So um, just wrapping up here, cause I know we're, we're getting on time. I want to provide some, as much value as possible to the listeners uh, with this next question. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are, that watch this uh, channel are looking for jobs slash internships uh, in the clinical research space. Um, patient recruitment is usually kind of an often overlooked way that people want to get into the industry. They normally look for, you know, clinical trial assistant, study coordinator type roles uh, to get their foot in the door. Um, so how can someone kind of get involved, whether it's that trial B or another patient recruitment firm, um, either through an internship or an entry-level job, how can they just get involved with patient recruitment from your perspective? Well, that's a great question. I'll give a few a few thoughts here, and I don't, I don't have a silver bullet answer. But if, if you're looking to, to make a career shift and, and to get into clinical research, here's what I, I'm seeing be effective. Um, there's platforms out there, and, and Clubhouse is one of them, but there's other platforms like that where conversations are happening live in real time uh, between experts and novices. And so if you're interested in learning more about clinical research, um, one easy thing you can do is, is go to an app like Clubhouse and look up their clinical research rooms and, and join a couple of them and listen to the conversation and participate in that conversation. Uh, I was on a, one of those Clubhouse rooms you know, several months ago and somebody showed up and, and they had just lost their job that day. And, and I happened to be speaking in the Clubhouse room and and they kind of were frustrated and just venting how they just lost their job and, and their profile directly matched the position we were hiring for. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I offered on the call, you know, send me your resume, hit me up on LinkedIn and direct message me and we'll see if you're a good fit. Um, so that, that's one example. And, and, you know, I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out there looking for talent. Clinical research is growing. So the demand is there. Um, that's one avenue. Another one is if you have organizations that you know you'd like to work for, but you're not sure how to get into them and, and you know they're hiring, you know, utilize platforms like LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is a great way to, to get to know the companies in the space and start to dialogue or follow people who are innovators in that space or who are decision makers for, for jobs they're hiring. Um, and I, I know from my experience, again, I'll, I'll give you another one. From my experience, we had a I had a guy direct message me on LinkedIn and he sent me a video and he said, I really like to work for your company. Love what you're doing. Here's my background. He happened to be in sales, not clinical research. Um, and he was a y- young guy and uh, we just hired him. And, and so 
you never know how an outreach like that, if you just take a little little time, put a quick video together, showcase your personality. I know it puts us all out there, um, but the, the jobs are out there. It's about making the connection with people because yep. at the end of the day, people are doing the hiring. And so you got to utilize these platforms to make the best connection you can. That's my personal opinion and, and, and two paths that I would, I would pursue. Thanks for definitely sharing that. Um, you know, we typically talk about on this channel, like the more traditional way of getting a job, you know, make sure your resume is great, you know, apply on Indeed or on the company's website, you know, the traditional way. But I think going on Clubhouse, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, networking, connecting with people um, definitely is an, another great way to kind of get your foot in the door and maybe even, uh, you know, it can happen even faster that way. So um, thank you definitely Absolutely. for offering that insight. Um, did you have any last uh, words or anything you would like to say to the people uh, before we close out here? I mean, I just say to you, um, you know, ECRG, I, I think what you're doing is great. I think you're providing the platform for people to learn more, for people to discover their interests, whether they're new at a clinical research or not. I think what you're doing is, is awesome. And I'm really happy to participate with you today. And I'm, I'm really glad you chose to have me on. I think the, the most important thing we can do um, is educate. And, and you're leading the way with this podcast and, and your series and channels. And so, um, you know, thank you for what you're doing every day. And, and I hope your listenership grows because I think you're providing the valuable service. I really appreciate that, Matt. That, that means a lot. Um, you know, we started this platform about two, two and a half, maybe even three years ago while time flies um, with certainly that goal. This is the type of stuff I wanted to know when I was trying to get in the industry. Um, so hopefully we're able to provide that and keep doing that into the future. Um, with great guests like you, it makes it possible. So um, <laughs> definitely hope to uh, do this again sometime. I, we, I think we just scratched the surface. Uh, so yeah, maybe we, maybe uh, next time you have a new product come out or something, we can uh, schedule this again and uh, really get in a little bit deeper. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, thanks for coming on and um, definitely appreciate you sharing all your wisdom. No, it's been great. Th thanks for having me. And I hope you have, a, have an awesome afternoon.